Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, May 7th, and we're talking three Fool favorites that just reported earnings. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's premium prospector for picturing potential purchasing power, Brian Feroldi. Brian, how you doing? Dylan, earnings week continues, and we have tons of companies to pick through. Yet again, we had to pare down the list because there are just so many to talk about. It's an embarrassment of riches. And, you know, I, I have to say, as someone who I, I, I don't have the portfolio that you have in terms of scope, you know, I think you own maybe twice as many companies as I do. I have a hard time keeping track of just the businesses I own when it comes to earnings season. And I lean very heavily on our, our colleagues because they do a lot of great rundowns for us. We're hoping we can bring that to a lot of fools who own a couple of different businesses we're going to be talking about today, maybe make their lives a little bit easier keeping up with all of the earnings that are flurrying around right now. The secret to holding lots of stocks is to never invest alone. The best thing about The Motley Fool is the community aspect. And like you, I rely heavily on other people to help me cover all these earnings. So yes, that's my secret to being able to hold lots of stocks. Yeah, I like to think of it as that that classic, you see it on online media. It's like, we did this so you don't have to, right? <laughs> like We dug through the earnings reports to save you time. Uh, we'll be giving you the updates on Square, Mercado Libre, and Etsy, uh, about 10 minutes each giving you the quick download, everything you need to know. Um, and, and Brian, really, we're, we're talking about our own book here. I mean, I own two of these companies. If I'm not mistaken, you own all three of these companies? That's correct. Yep. And actually, uh, I think two of the three of these companies are in our April Fool's portfolio, uh, which is a beginner portfolio that we put together uh, as part of our kind of company holiday, April 1st uh, for 2021. And so, folks, if, if you caught that, you can get some updates on that portfolio here. But also, head over to fool.com slash free, and you can get it. It's 15 stocks, five funds, nice little batch of companies to get your hands on, especially if uh, you're a newer investor and are building out a portfolio for the first time. Nice kind of sense of how to do that. Certainly, it's the kind of thing, Brian, that I wish I had uh, when I had started out investing. would have been helpful. No doubt. Uh, I started investing almost 20 years ago at this point. The amount of resources, free resources, podcasts, videos, tutorials, articles that are available today is just incredible. It's the best time ever to be a new investor. It's the best time ever to be a new investor. It's also, I think, a particularly good time if you have any exposure to Bitcoin as a business. I think I've I've been amazed at what that tailwind has done for some companies recently. Um, the the first business that we're talking about, Square, had I think this isn't an exaggeration, a blowout quarter, just absolutely demolished expectations, and Bitcoin was a huge part of that. Yeah, if you were to just look at this company's revenue, I mean, it's an eye-popping number. Revenue at Square was up 266% to $5.06 billion. Wall Street was only expecting $3.3 billion. So that was an absolutely massive beat on the top line. However, as you just alluded to, a lot of that is based on this company's uh, entrance into the to the Bitcoin market. They are booking some of that uh, their Bitcoin transaction as a revenue, and that is actually low, very very low margin revenue for this company. So moving forward, uh, you can't just look at this company's headlines. You have to go one step further. Yeah, I think the past twelve months have showed us more very very big companies posting 
absolutely insane growth rates. And and you need to take this step back when you see a number like 266%. And remember, Square's like an $100 billion business. Like how many times in history have we seen companies that big post top line growth of that magnitude? Yeah, I, I can't even think of any off the top of my head. And that's including thinking <laughs> of like uh, Snowflake and and, uh, and and other companies that are just monster growers. Uh, and again, if you kind of look, if you kind of look one step further, uh, Square is really starting to, uh, or is emphasizes heavily uh, its gross profit numbers when you're looking at its shareholder letter. And that's the thing that it's big and bold and right in front of you. I really like that because gross profit strips away all the vagaries that are going on with, uh, with revenue and gets to here's how much gross profit we have to work with to fund uh, the business. But let's take back and just talk about the adjusted revenue headline. If you exclude the gains from uh, from the Bitcoin business, uh, revenue here grew 44% to $1.55 billion. If you break that apart, transaction revenue was up 27% to $960 million. And subscription and service-based revenue, which includes things like the Cash App and the seller ecosystems, that was up 88% to $558 million. Another metric that's worth noting is just gross payment volume, which is all the transactions that have gone across the company's network. That was up 34% percent to 18.1 billion. Not the 266% revenue growth that the company reported on the top line, but still stellar results nonetheless. Yeah, darn impressive. And also this is really the engine that's going to make this company go going forward, right? This is this is the core business. I think it's amazing to see 3.5 billion in revenue come in through the Bitcoin transactions. I, th- I think that is remarkable. And you know, if if you're a crypto person, you're probably like, heck yeah! I've, you know, I've I've been waiting for people to really start catching on to this story. I think certainly in Square's case, they are seeing the benefits of being one of the early, really big tech players to buy into the crypto space and say we are going to make this dumb simple for people. We're going to make it really easy for them to tra- transact in crypto if they want to. They're doing just that. And Jack Dorsey, is. there's no doubt that he has been a massive bull on Bitcoin uh, for, for years. But again, I think it's smart of this company to really emphasize gross profit, which by the way, grew 79% to $964 million. That itself is a really great result. And they did go out of their way to say, we expect revenue to be far more volatile now, uh, which makes again, makes sense while they're emphasizing gross profit. When Bitcoin is going crazy and that business is on fire, yes, revenue is going to grow. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to think that the opposite of that will be happening some quarters in the future. And again, if you're just looking at the headline numbers, they'll report a year-over-year decline in revenue, and you'll be like, what is going on with this business? So just focus on gross profit like management does. I like the way you deconstructed that, Brian, because yeah, when you have $3.5 billion in revenue coming out of, not, not quite nowhere, but coming out in kind of an unexpected way, that's where you have the results that the company puts up just totally being in a different direction and totally being so much larger than what expectations can be. We talk about it all the time with innovative businesses, and and it's certainly true for innovative business segments as well. It's really hard to appreciate the value and really model it out in any consistency when you have that kind of growth happening. I know that the other day on our on our member live stream, Motley Fool Live, you did a breakdown, I think it was of Coinbase, and you were talking about the crypto market in general. And I think we we can't think about it as cyclical as maybe some more classically cyclical industries, but this segment, at least for Square, is going to rise and fall with interest in cryptocurrency. It's just the way that that revenue stream is going to work for them. It really is. It's going to be a, a thing that just makes the top line really hard to decipher and really hard to understand. Uh, and, and to the point, a management called out that, yes, while Bitcoin-related revenue was $3.5 billion, 
gross profit from their Bitcoin business was 75 million or about 2% of their Bitcoin uh, revenue. Hence why they're saying, don't focus on the revenue number, focus on the gross profit. Yeah. And, and one of the things I liked with, with what management laid out for shareholders in this quarterly update is they're basically saying, we're seeing this really impressive gross profit growth. And to help you understand why, we're seeing really incredible inflows on the platform. And these are basically moving in lockstep for them. They really are. They are growing uh, very strongly across the board. Uh, management did note that it's um, uh, the, the stimulus packages that are going out to their customers is uh, having an outsized influence on their growth and their inflows, especially amongst their cap, uh, cash app uh, business and the usage of uh, cash card. Uh, those businesses are growing very strongly during the, the quarter. Uh, I think even if you were to strip those out, the results would still be pretty good. But there's no doubt that those government stimulus checks are really helping Square. Yeah. And, and I think it traces back to a very similar philosophical approach that they've had with crypto and with Bitcoin is let's make it really easy. They've they've mastered that and made it very simple for people to access their money. Uh, that That's only going to benefit a business, right? I mean, the easier and the more friction you can, you can remove from that kind of thing, um, the more customers are going to use you and continue to use you beyond that initial use case. I think that's one thing that tech companies in general, or at least a really successful one, understand very, very well. They are super hyper-focused on the consumer experience, and they want to remove as much friction from the process as they possibly can. Uh, for example, this company was a big participant in the uh, PPP loans that went out to their businesses last year, and they noted that they uh, saw huge demand for that. And to your point, their mission is to help sellers and uh, people uh, access the uh, digital economy. Their numbers clearly show that they're doing just that. So those are all the high-level numbers that we would traditionally check in on, but there were a ton of updates for this business. And they were a little bit more of the lower-level things within the quarterly report, but a lot of things that are worth at least bringing uh, into the conversation, Brian. What are some of the standout ones for you? Because I know in our outline alone for this show, there are about 15 bullet points related to things that happened during the quarter. It really is hard to keep up with everything that's going on at this company because there is so much progress. Uh, one thing that's worth noting is that they completed the acquisition of Tidal uh, for $302 million, which is a, a global music and entertainment platform. Uh, that deal brought Jay-Z to uh, this company's board of directors. That's interesting. One thing that I did call out, uh, or two things that I think are worth mentioning. Uh, first off, they said that their Cash App now lets users send and receive Bitcoin from each other's for free. Uh, that is a nice perk that I think will resonate with a lot of users of their uh, Cash App product. Uh, again, to buy and sell through their uh, other system, you do have to pay a transaction fee. But if you want to just send it back and forth between uh, users, that is free. That is a could be a sticky product that keeps people loyal to the uh, the cash app the other thing that caught my eye here is uh, how fast uh, the international markets uh, are growing. Gross profit in international grew 80% and now represents about 8% of total seller growing profit. And they called out that they launched the Square Terminal uh, in Japan. They, uh, the Square Register was launched in both the UK and, uh, and Australia. Uh, this company has predominantly been a US story uh, for, for now, and the international opportunity remains huge. So it's good to meet, good for me to see that they're making progress there. Yeah, I, I think it's worth talking about the Cash App a little bit, Brian. You mentioned it in that rundown. And I think if you went back maybe three or four years, you would say, okay, when it comes to mobile peer-to-peer -peer payments, there's Venmo. And that's that's really it. Like, they are by far the leader in the space. And with all of those types of technologies, you wonder with the network effects, is, is there really room for a second one to be downloaded and really heavily used? Or 
you know, is there one that's just going to become standard for people and it's going to be tough for another player to make inroads? Uh, they have seen their users explode over the last four or five years. And they've done a really good job. I thought it was going to be a pretty uphill battle for them to unseat or equally get to the same point um, as Venmo. I think they still have some work to do there. But that's been one of the more impressive elements of the growth story for me because I honestly didn't think they were going to be able to pull it off. I 100% agree with you there. Given how behind they were, uh, products like Venmo, the Cash App has done a tremendous job about growing its user base. And I like that Square really sees this as a core product uh, for, for making uh, finance easy for consumers. And they are investing aggressively to build out their ecosystem. The Bitcoin option that we just talked about to send and receive back and forth should only further uh, deepen that. There's also things like the, uh, the cash card that they have. They noted that there are now more than 10 million monthly cash card uh, actives, and more than uh, 7 million people uh, use them weekly. Those are some impressive numbers. That that latter figure, that 7 million weekly, that was up almost double the year ago period. So this product remains on fire. Absolutely on fire. And I think that this is precisely what we talk about when we say optionality. The, the business square has changed so dramatically in the last five or so years. And every single time I check in on it, the more and more impressed I am with what they're able to do. Yeah, one other thing that was worth noting here is that uh, Square is traditionally viewed as a, a product and service for really small businesses, but the company has been moving up market and it continues to do so uh, with, with great success. The company noted that their mid-market sellers, uh, that, that business grew 43%, which was 2x growth of the total, total group growth of sellers. They consider that to be uh, sellers that will sell over $500,000 uh, on, uh, on Square's platform for the year. That's really great to see that not only are they having success with the little guys, but they are successfully moving up market because that will uh, have an outsized impact on revenue and profits in the future. Brian, you mentioned that management's focusing a lot on gross profit specifically, and that that's something that I think we can expect to get updates on and focus on in the coming quarters with this company. It was also something that they specifically called out in the guidance that they provided for investors. Yeah, they didn't give us incredibly detailed guidance, but they did note that they saw continued strength into April of this year with gross profit in the seller ecosystem growing by more than 135% over the prior year. And Cash App was also up 130% year over year in April. Management did note that they are seeing a slowdown, uh, or they at least expect to see a significant slowdown in May and June as those tough as they start to come up against those really tough comps. And they did say that they expect expenses to remain high. So while they are not giving absolute guidance, uh, it is at least a good sign that that triple-digit growth rate has persisted into April. Yeah, and and I can see how for them it's it's a little bit tough to forecast too much out because of a lot of the things that we've talked about before. And I'll say, you know, I'm looking at them as a shareholder, and I'm saying, okay, core business grew at about 44 percent. You add Bitcoin, you get 266 uh, percent. The Bitcoin part of their business it's not going away, but it's really hard to know, you know, within each quarter how big it's going to be and how many transactions they're going to see, how much that's moving around in their platform. Do you have any thoughts, Brian, on on how to factor that segment into what to expect for this company going forward? Because it's a growth lever, but knowing what, what it really can do for the business is kind of tough. When it comes to Square and, and Bitcoin, I view it as an asymmetric bet. If they are right about Bitcoin and if they are viewed as uh, early adopters and make it really easy to get into, I can provide this business with some tremendous upside. 
However, if they're wrong about that and that business goes away or declines significantly, it still doesn't really damage the core thesis for, for owning this stock. It will hurt. It will sting. This company's probably will go down, but the core business is still pretty strong. So I like it when management teams make these kind of bets, small bets that they see you success in and then build them out over time. But Either way, if you're investing in Square, you are going to have some uh, secondhand Bitcoin exposure. Right. And, and I mean, if you're growing your top line at 44% for two years, you're basically doubling in that period. So even if they wind up with something that is you know, a slight ramp down from that, let's say they wind up in the 30s or something like that at some point, um, this is still a very quickly growing business, especially given how big it currently is, $100 billion. It really is. Uh, and again, given the company's scale that you, you just mentioned, it's nice to see that they're putting up this kind of growth rates. What kind of growth rates we're going to see next quarter in Q3 and Q4, that's still up in the air to me. Just like we touched on last week, that's when we're going to start to see some really wonky comps for all these companies that were uh, that, that uh, COVID has been a tailwind for them. Uh, that that So that will be more earnings reports that I'm definitely going to be digging into. But if you just zoomed out and would say, what's the overall uh, view of this company? I think there's no doubt you have to say thesis on track. Thesis on track. And I will say, you know, I, I own it. I just wish I owned more. You know, there, there have been a lot of times uh, over the last couple of years where and if you manage to buy into Square, um, you're sitting pretty. You know, uh, they're basically uh, like a 3x from where they were in, in 2019. Uh, depending on when you bought in 2020, you're sitting on some, some pretty handsome gains as well. Um, it's it's been a remarkable performer. You go even further back, and it, you know it's it's a ten bagger easily. Um, I, I think there's still a lot of potential there. You got to right size your expectations because they are so big already. But with that growth rate, I think there's still plenty for shareholders to be happy about. Just as a point of reference. Uh, PayPal, which also had a pretty good earnings report earlier this week that we're not going to uh, talk about, that is a $300 billion business. So Square at just $100 billion, there's room for growth, I think. Yeah, especially when you contextualize it within the GPV or in the TPV that's happening on the platform. And we're going to have a very similar conversation, I think, with Mercado Libre, the next company we're talking about. You know, it's, it's something where these, these platforms move so much it's kind of helpful to contextualize their valuation within that because some of the core financial metrics are helpful, but only so helpful in really grasping um, how wide their reach is. Yeah, that's right. And to get into the uh, the headline numbers here, yet again, a number that just completely uh, blew me away. Uh, Mercado Libre's revenue in the most recent quarter was up 158% to $1.4 billion. Dylan, I've been a shareholder of this company for like 10 years. If you were to rewind the clock 10 years ago and tell me, this company's going to grow consistently, and then it's going to more than double, I wouldn't have believed you. But that is exactly what has happened. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. To, to provide a quick history lesson on that revenue growth, uh, you go back over their recent quarters. So Q1 of 2020, they posted 70% year-over-year year growth, which for a business that is deep in the tens of billions in terms of valuation is pretty strong. You know, I think anyone would be pretty happy with that. 2020 Q2, 123%. 2020 Q3, 148%. 2020 Q4, 149%. So we have seen an already very big business find accelerating revenue growth, which is incredible. We're going to talk a little bit about why with, with some of the different business segments that they've got going on. But this is, to me, just classic case of optionality. You have a really strong e-commerce platform, a business model that we have seen work in so many places being brought to uh, a place that's in need of it. 
And then on top of that, you start getting into the payment system that they've created and all of the fintech investments they're making. I am so excited about this business. I'm so happy that I own it, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> to your point, this 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 company is like the classic example to me of the power of optionality, the power of placing lots of little bets uh, many, many years ago. And if just one or two of them pay off, it can really be huge. And Mercado Libre is definitely there with Mercado Pago, its payment system. In fact, when you look at this company's earnings report, they tout that first. They're not even like a marketplace company uh, first anymore. They consider themselves uh, to be a fintech company. But those numbers are, are uh, crazy, uh, are crazy. Crazy strong, and it's unbelievable that the growth uh, is that that growth rate has been accelerating. But as you point out, Dylan, this is a company that you have to look by beyond the headlines and really focus on the the core metrics because this is a company that currency translations always mess with the numbers. Yeah, they do business in over a dozen countries. Um, there are a lot of different currency swings that happen locally within those economies, and they're always repatriating things, bringing them back into US dollars, can kind of wreak havoc on the financials. And so there are quarters where the business results are really strong that doesn't necessarily translate to the financial numbers that we see stated in dollars. In this case, we got some really good financial numbers, and we're really happy about that. But clicking into the business metrics themselves, really strong. Core platform, gross merchandise volume was $6.1 billion, up 114% year over year. That's definitely a part of the business that's going to be benefiting from the pandemic and from stay at home. And you see that with the items sold increasing over $200 million during the quarter, up 110% year over year. They're bringing more people onto the platform, Brian. We're seeing more users, 62% growth there, over $70 million. There's a lot to love with the core platform, I would say, though, there's probably even more to like with the payments platform. Yeah, it's very square-like numbers almost. I mean, their total payment volume was up 129% in local currencies to 147 Billion, and if you break that apart, remember this is a company that you can use both on the platform as well as off the platform. I love that investment that they're making into be using Mercado Pago off the platform. On platform, uh, to, uh, gross payment volume was 6.2 billion. That was up 119 percent. Off platform uh, gross payment volume was 8.5 billion, up 136%. That again shows the power of that decision to decouple it from being forced to use on, on the platform. Yeah, Brian, I think six years ago, seven years ago, this was an e-commerce thesis, right? And then maybe three to four years ago, it became e-commerce, but then all of this other stuff that's being rolled into what they offer, Mercado Pago, a lot of their fintech investments that they're making. I think now, maybe over the last year or so, the thesis has become a wonderful payment system that has helped a lot of people transact on their platform, but is basically becoming the go-to digital payment system for the local economies that it serves. And that is a wonderful, wonderful place to be given the internet penetration rates, given the uh, the digital payment penetration rates in, in Latin America. Uh, despite how far this company has come, it still has a long way to go before it saturates uh, those markets. One thing that is worth noting about this is they have been aggressive, uh, investing in themselves aggressively uh, for more than a decade uh, now, especially to build out their fulfillment network. I really like that move because that will give them a competitive advantage uh, more so than almost anything else they can do uh, over the long term. The real cost of that to me is not only the financials, but it's the gross margin. Uh, gross margin for this company a few years ago was in the high 60s, and it has been trailing downwards ever since. 
chance because obviously a shipping business and an e-commerce platform business just have completely different margin profiles. So I'm okay with that. It's currently a gross margin is down to uh, under under 50%. Uh, that's a worthwhile trade-off because it's making investments in the moat. Uh, but that does make it harder for that. It does make it hard to see that gross profit not keeping up with the revenue. Yeah. And, and this is the classic it's got to be worth it long term. You know, you you at first you see the margin dipping, you're like, okay, why? And it makes sense. And then you're like, okay, does that make sense long term for the direction this business is trying to go in? Uh, I think so, but I do think it's it's worth noting. And you know, another place that this is going to show up for them on their financials is they've drawn down over a billion dollars in cash over the past year. You know, you look at their balance sheet, and they're still quite a strong company. There's still a decent amount of cash sitting around, but they have been putting a lot of money into the platform, into their offerings, and into new product segments. And it makes sense that when you see the growth rates that they have, they're in hyper growth mode. You want to fuel that as much as you can. But as an investor, you need to realize that's where that money's going. And a big part of whether or not that's good money spent is going to kind of play out over the next couple of years. I think that will prove to be uh, money that is very well spent, especially when you see companies like C Limited that are taking in an interest in the Latin American market and are having a lot of success. One thing that could keep Mercado Libre differentiated over the long term is its own logistic network that it can use to ship parcels uh, quickly and expeditiously and, and for free. Those are investments that investors will have to eat today, but I really think over the next five, 10 years, they will pay off for this company. I think so. And and I think it insulates them from a lot of competitive pressure too. You know, like they they're in a spot where they're the first mover in a space and there is undoubtedly going to be more competition. You just mentioned C Limited, but like if you're able to build out your presence more and more and more, build out your offerings more and more and more, it's only going to be good for you, especially long term when you're in such a land grab period from the markets they're in. You got it. One other thing of note in Mercado Libre before we move on is that uh, as you teed up at the top of the show, they've dipped their toes into the Bitcoin uh, water. They purchased uh, just about $8 million worth of, of, of Bitcoin. Uh, I think that that is, again, just barely uh, scratching the surface of what they could potentially do. And that is not, that's a very, very tiny bet for this company with over $1 billion uh, in, in cash and a market cap that is uh, probably around uh, $80 billion or so. Uh, so it's not going to be, it's not going to be thesis changing at all. It's more of a footnote, but you know, it could be a, a sign of more to come. I think so. And, and I like that we talked about Mercado Libre after having talked about Square because we have seen the impact that crypto exposure can have on a business. And looking at Mercado Libre, having just talked about how, you know, like the local currencies can really wreak havoc on their financials, it's it's probably quite difficult, even more difficult for the people that are in those countries, right? And so if you're operating a fintech platform, uh, a peer-to-peer payment payments platform, um, you know that crypto is on people's mind. You know that particularly for people where they're, uh, you know, in, in local economies where the currency might not be as stable, that's probably something that they're starting to look at a little bit more. I think it makes sense that they're starting to think about this as a business. Um, and it just kind of, it plays into where they're trying to go. And I think what they're probably going to be trying to offer their customers. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I, I absolutely agree with everything you just said. I think that it would be great if they could build in a crypto feature into their Mercado Pago. Again, if you look at Square's results, it's very obvious that there is demand for that, uh, especially when uh, there are big currency swings. So uh, I like that they're starting to experiment with that. That could become something substantial for them uh, in the future. But these are, the, these are the kind of reasons I like companies like Mercado Libre. They're willing to experiment. They're willing to make small bets. And if they have success, they invest more into that over time. That's a proven formula. Yeah, I would not be surprised to see that amount increase in the coming quarters and years. I, I think that this is them 
making that first dip of their toe in, but there's probably going to be more money to come, especially if it becomes something that lands on their consumer platforms. Um, Brian, I, I take a step back and I look at these results holistically. And again, it's these are baffling growth rates for a company this size. Uh, if I weren't already such a big shareholder of Mercado Libre, I would be buying more. Uh, unfortunately, it's already, fortunately, unfortunately, it's already my largest holding. Yeah, mine too. So I don't think I need to rush out and uh, buy any more either. But uh, and it's not my largest holding because I want it to be. It wound up as my largest holding because the company performed so well. Uh, but this is a company that totally deserves it. But like you, I think there are plenty of reasons to be bullish on Mercado Libre, even at today's prices. And like you, if I didn't own any, especially when you're viewing the results that this company just put out, there are lots of reasons to want to become a shareholder today. All right, Brian, third company we're talking about, another fool favorite, uh, Etsy, another business that has benefited tremendously from stay-at-home pandemic and the pivot to digital. Uh, let's talk about their results. Sure. So if you just look at the trailing numbers for Etsy, there's nothing to say except, wow, like they look great. Gross merchandising sales uh, for this company were up 128% to 3.1 billion. Masks were a major product category for this company just over a year ago. And management pointed out that mask sales were just 2.5% of that total. So masks are not the driving factor here. Uh, that is everything else that the company uh, sells. Uh, Etsy's take rate, which is the amount of uh, transaction volume that they keep for themselves as, as revenue, uh, that bu bumped up to 60 basis points to 17.5%. That's a very healthy number. You combine those two things together, revenue for this company was up 141% to $551 million. Wall Street was only expecting 530 million. Really great results on the top line. Super strong. I, I I look at the results, like you said, going backwards, they look fantastic. And and I think there are a lot of core business metrics that looked really, really good with this company too. Um, you know, you think about the way that an e-commerce player operates, you want to see more people coming onto the platform. We hire we highlighted the user numbers that we saw from Mercado Libre. Same story here with 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 Etsy. We have uh, new buyer increases of over a hundred percent year over year. Active buyer increase of ninety percent year over year. Um, and this this habitable buyers figure, Brian, are are you familiar with this at all? Yeah, habitual buyers. It's 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 buyers that uh, continue <laughs> to buy. I think it's once a quarter or or f more than like four times per year, something along those lines. Those are people that are Etsy loyalists, such as myself. By the way, if uh, if uh, every time Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, wife's birthday, anything like that rolls around, Etsy is the very first place that I go. Uh, so people that are habitual buyers on Etsy, that was up two hundred and six percent. Those are exactly the kind of numbers that you want to see if you're investors. More buyers are, are joining uh, this platform and they are sticking around and spending more. That's great news for the long term. It's great news. It makes growth a lot easier, especially if you can build that that habit and that that relationship with your users. Um, the, the story, I think, for Etsy is hard going forward. And it's, it's the curse of a, a business that's put up some really, really great results um, and seen you know, the tide lift the boat pretty tremendously. Yeah, that is something. If you were paying attention to Etsy stock this week, even though they reported this great uh, that that great revenue result, and by the way, the rest of the income statement looks great too. Gross margin was up 1,100 basis points to 74 percent. Net income was up 11 fold to 143 million or a dollar per share. Wall Street was under uh, only expecting 88 cents. But despite posting a huge beat on the top line and the bottom line, uh, this stock fell about 15 percent in the day following the report. The reason why is 
is 100% blamable on forward guidance. In the second quarter, management is going to be going up against some much tougher comps versus the Euro period, the year ago period. And they are saying that gross merchandising sales are only expected to grow between five and 15%. That's for a company that just put up 128% uh, gross merchandise sales volume uh, increase in the most recent quarter. Revenue is going to grow a little bit faster than that, 15% to 25%. And adjusted EBITDA uh, is going to grow even faster uh, at 28% to 35%. However, when you compare going from triple-digit growth to mid-teens or, or low double, low 20% growth, that's a bitter pill to swallow. It is. And this is exactly what we've been talking about with knowing at some point the music was going to stop a little bit for companies that have had so much growth pulled forward. I mean, the, the, the growth rates that they were able to put up were nothing short of incredible. And the stock followed those growth rates, right? We're looking at a company that was up even after the recent dip, uh, 250% from where they started 2020. So the market has realized the increased value of this business and the revenue is there. We're going to continue to see growth, which is wonderful. Um, but you know, what probably would have taken place over several years is now... <laughs> lumped forward into 2020 and 2021. And those those denominators are getting bigger and bigger. It's always going to be tough for a business. We've seen Wall Street bid up so many companies that were benefited from from COVID uh, to just extreme heights. And that makes sense because the numbers that they were putting out were jaw-dropping, just like Etsy just reported. We've again seen so many of those companies that may be that the COVID may all of a sudden become a tailwind. Their stocks have been smacked around. I mean, look at Zoom, uh, for, for example. Zoom just reported phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal uh, results uh, with its most recent quarterly uh, report. And yet that that stock is down like 50 or 55% uh, from its all-time high. So I think you can throw a lump Etsy into that bucket. Wall Street became too excited, bid it up to, to, far, to far too high. And now they're, they're on the tail side of that where they're saying this is going to be a tailwind for the company. And it's possible now that they're overreacting in, in the other way. But if you just strip back and look at the core results for this company and the growth in active buyers, the growth in active sellers, the expansion of the take rate, the expansion of gross margin, and this company has been significantly invested in itself. Uh, particularly in uh, in sales and marketing, I think that COVID will be an enormous boost for this company, and this, no doubt in my mind, this is a strong, a much stronger business today than it was a year ago. Yeah, and and I think there's a you know a helpful lesson here for folks that are maybe newer to high growth stocks and are getting used to owning them and and the reactionary moves in the market when when you own a business that has a lot of expectations priced into it. You know, even after dropping about thirty percent from highs, we're still talking about a company that's worth twenty one billion dollars, Brian. And we just mentioned before, it's I think something like five hundred and fifty uh, in in revenue, and that's you know for the quarter. Um, but they're an e-commerce player, um, pretty good margins for an e-commerce player. But at some point, if the growth rate's slow, the multiple is going to contract. It's it's part of the math that we just kind of have to accept when it comes to valuation. Um, I don't see a lot in here though that busts the long-term thesis. It's just the market slightly reweighting based on what they need to expect going forward, given the realities of the business. I think that's exactly right. Uh, that's why valuation in the short term is so unpredictable and so hard to kind of realize. Again, if you were just giving someone the headline numbers and you said top line beat, bottom line beat, margins expansion, uh, new sellers up, new buyers up, what do you think the stock price would do? You'd be like, must be flying high not dropping 15%. That's why I never try and guess short-term market movements. Stay focused on the business. Etsy's business is getting stronger. I'm, I'm personally a shareholder. I have absolutely no plans to sell. 
Yeah, I think that's right, Brian. And, you know, for me, in, in my own kind of personal investing journey, there was a period where I really let valuation get in the way of me buying things. And um, I, I learned quite a bit from listening to Brian Stoffel, you know, one of our colleagues who basically says, like, valuation doesn't really matter that much to me. You know, that's that's not really how he tends to look at businesses. Um, and over time, I have been able to see the light, thankfully, you know, spending so much time in the tech space, I've been able to understand it. Um, and where valuation factors in a little bit more for me is understanding what I own and what is likely to happen with business outcomes and the results that businesses put up. Not necessarily that it's going to affect the what I do with that company, but that I can expect the red or the green that I'm going to see in my portfolio based on the results that they're putting up. You have to be willing to endure long periods of seeing your portfolio go down if you're going to invest in high growth businesses. That is just the name of the game. As we said before, when things are going well, they tend to go really well. And Wall Street bids these companies up beyond their, what they should be. And then when things the tide turns, they tend to get hit much harder than the stock market in general. That's just a part of high growth investing. But if you're willing to look for great businesses, buy great businesses, and can hold through those downturns, you should be hugely rewarded in time. I think we should just pull that soundbite. <laughs> it's just, that's that, like, I mean, that's it, right? That's that's what we talk about all the time. And and I think it's it's something you almost want it on a post-it note next to your computer monitor, um, just, just so that you can keep it in mind every day when you check your portfolio. I wish it was an interstitial that would pop up when I checked uh, Merrill Lynch, you know? Um, because when you see movements, it, it could be hard to remind yourself of that. But if you have that in your head, uh, if you have the investing journal to help you out and, and kind of maintain sanity with a lot of this stuff, it becomes a lot easier. And to your point, when we started the show, Brian, the Fool community helps a lot too. Tremendously. Uh, the full community has helped me so many times. I mean, I've seen my personal portfolio get smacked around a lot. Every time I flock to Fool Live or the discussion boards and just want to see that other what, what other investors are doing, having a good community behind you is worth its weight in gold. Yep. And Brian, I am happy to count you in my community. Happy to be there, Dylan. <laughs> Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks, Tim Sparks, for all his work behind the glass today. And thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on. Fool on.